The week before last, we were away on holiday in the Peak District, and um, we went, me and Claire went for lunch one day in this tiny little cafe, and there were literally two tables. There was us and Claire sat on one table, and then there was another table on the other side. It was basically an ice cream shop, but it did cheap sandwiches, so we went in for lunch. Um, And we were sat there, eating our sandwiches, and this woman comes in, and she sits on the other table. She gets a coffee, she gets a cake, and she sat there. And she looks at us, and you know when somebody, you can tell they're going to start a conversation. She starts to talk. And she talks, and she talks, and by the end of the sort of 15 minutes we've been sat there, we have heard her whole life story in sort of intricate detail. But there was one thing that she said to us that really struck out. She says, I come here every day with my coffee and my cake and a chat to whoever is there. And it was really sad, because there was no relationship. There was no relationship out of that, was there? She was just coming in out of loneliness, out of brokenness, to chat to random people like me and Claire. Now, I hope we, we spoke well to her, and she did feel you know, like the, there was some kind of relationship there. But as human beings, we are, first of all, built for relationship. That's what the creation narratives are about. We're placed in this perfect relationship with God. And then we mess it all up, and things go wrong. If you were here last week, Carol did that amazing illustration. I think it struck really with a lot of us about prayer. And she had somebody sat here who was God and then four young people round about her on pieces of string and saying, as we pray, God draws us to himself. But I'm sure many of us notice, and I spoke to Carol um, later in the week about this as well. What happens when we get closer to God? We also get closer to one another. We also get closer to each other. As we draw near to God, that connection happens. Well, today is our last Sunday morning service where we're looking at this theme of reconnecting with God and reconnecting with each other. We'll come back to this for the away day and we'll be taking some kind of feedback as we go through to see what the Lord has been saying to us. But today, I simply want to look at how we move on from this theme to thinking really about sharing Jesus, sharing the good news. Because there are lots of people today sat in cafes, lots of people with no relationships, lots of people who who are lonely in a human level, but absolutely bereft of spiritual life, where there is a brokenness, there is no relationship with God because they have not encountered the Lord Jesus. So if you've got a Bible with you and you want to turn with me, we're in the prophet Isaiah, second reading from Isaiah this morning. This is Isaiah chapter 6, and I'm going to read Verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let's just pause there. Can we read that out together? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, The Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Let's pray again, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word. We just thank you for this amazing encounter that Isaiah had with you. And Lord, we pray that we would learn something from Isaiah's response to being in your presence. So just challenge us, we pray, encourage us this morning. By your spirit, we ask. Amen. came across this quote the other week. This is from, I think he's an Austrian psychiatrist. It says, when a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. I don't know if you think that's true for you. I don't know if you think that's true in the world that we live in. I don't know if you think that's true for our church. But just hold that in the back of your minds. We'll come back to that in a few moments. But let's have a look at the vision that Isaiah has. Isaiah, when he has this amazing encounter with God, um, he is already a called prophet. He's already ministering. Read Isaiah's 1 to 5. They're not blank. They're not um, narrative. They're prophecy. He's already hearing from God. And that's really important because he is not a rebel here being brought into God's presence and being commissioned for the first time. He's not somebody who doesn't know God, but he's somebody who's known God for a long time, already a prophet, being called onwards. I think that's important because sometimes, you know, if you've been a Christian a while, you can think, I don't think God's got anything new to say to me. You know, I'm, I'm just going around the, the same old routines, I'm reading the same Bible passages, and I don't hear God speaking. Isaiah challenges that. God always has something new to say to us. There is always something that God wants to share. And so Isaiah has this most incredible vision. And it's during the year that King Uzziah died. Now this does matter, I think, in terms of what Isaiah sees. King Uzziah was one of those rare kings of Judah who was actually reasonably well complimented in the scripture. Um, he reigned for a long time. He reigned for 52 years. Part of it, he was co-regent, and then towards the end of his life, things did go horribly wrong. He was proud, and he ended up um, having leprosy, and he ended up living in isolation. And he shared the, the rule of his reign with his son Jotham for the last 11 years. But apart from that, he was generally quite a good ruler. He brought peace and prosperity to the people. He was good at agriculture, the Bible tells us, um, and all kinds of other things. He increased the fame of the nation. And the spiritual life actually took a bit of an upturn. Now, in our country, in September, Queen Elizabeth II passed away. And I don't know how that made you feel when that happened. Was it a time of uncertainty? Did it create questions of what's happening next? But for us... Our monarch is a constitutional monarch. She didn't have any hard power. That's left to the politicians. But in ancient Judah, what the monarch said went. So for Isaiah, it was probably in the back of his mind, as somebody who's hearing God, what does this mean for the nation? What does it mean that this long-serving monarch has, has died? What does it mean that this person who has kept the powers of Assyria and Egypt away from us, what does it mean that he's now gone? Well, it's a reminder that God is still on the throne. That God is still sovereign. That the world may change around us, but God still rules and reigns. Now, I don't know what is going on in your life today. I don't know whether you're feeling like really stable in what's going on or whether you're feeling that actually things are not okay. 
and life is rocky and it's up and down and you don't know where you're heading. But this reminds us, this vision, that God is on the throne. came across this quote from a chap called David Gussett. There is a throne in heaven and the Lord God sits upon it as the sovereign ruler of the universe. This is the central fact of heaven, that there is an occupied throne in heaven. God does not sit on a chair in heaven. Anyone might sit on a chair, but sovereign kings sit on thrones. Judges sit on thrones. Those with authority and sovereignty sit on thrones. Do you know that God is enthroned today? Is that resonating in your life? That that God is actually in control, that whatever we see personally, on a national stage, internationally, that God is still moving all things towards his goals and purposes. So we get to verse 3, and we get that amazing hymn that we sang the words, or said the words out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The heaven and earth is full of his glory. Amazing words. The heavens, the place where God rules, the earth, the place where we live, is full of the presence of God. Now, we quite often talk in church, don't we, about the presence of God. We talk about drawing near to God, about entering his presence. There's that amazing verse we've looked at over recent weeks from James 4, verse 8. Draw near to God. How does the rest of it go? He will draw near to you. What a promise that as we draw near to God, God comes and meets us and we encounter something of his presence. But there are three different ways that actually Isaiah encounters the presence of God in this amazing vision. Sorry, we've gone to the wrong thing there. Um, In creation, when you go out of church today, just have a look around you. Have a look around you and see what you can see and see how the glory of the Lord is displayed across the whole earth. It might be that you look up to the sky and I think we're getting a thunderstorm, aren't we? It's about we're we're due to come out of church. It's what? Oh, it's being postponed. (laughs) Nick's got an earpiece to the meteorological office. Uh, but if you look and see last, last night when those clouds were billowing up, you can just see something of God's creation and the awe and the wonder. If you look up at the stars on a clear night, you see something of the grandeur. If you look at the plants in your garden growing in the summer, or if you just go outside and look at even the tubs that are growing out there, you see right the intricacy of God's design. You look down a microscope and you see the cell or the atom, depends on how good your microscope is. And you can see, again, that God's intricate design goes all the way through. God's presence is everywhere. It's visible. It's tangible. But you know what? We can also access God's presence through sacrifice. And this is what Isaiah finds. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice um, that was made to be able to enter the presence of God took place in the temple. And it's here in the temple that um, Isaiah's sin is atoned for with a coal from the altar. And it's here that he encounters God. Now, the holy place in the temple has long since gone. That was destroyed in AD 70. But actually, the holy place, if you think back to Good Friday and the readings that we read on Good Friday, the curtain in the temple is torn in two. And we can have free access to the presence of God through not the sacrifices that were made in the temple, but through the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.22, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. What encouragement, actually. Isaiah 6 is ours. We can enter, because of what Jesus has done, into the full presence of God. The unbarred access of 
to the presence of God. But for Isaiah, there's also an experience going on here. I don't know if you noticed when I was reading it, but all senses are, are sort of used. There is smoke. I don't know if you've been in a place that's really smoky. You can smell it, but you can also taste it. There's that sensory experience. Um, the shaking, he can feel what's going on. He can feel the presence of God. He can hear it, and he can see it. It's in full experience. I was sat in our garden a few weeks ago, and I, I had my sunglasses on, and I was just sat there, and I looked up, and the sun comes over our house in the late afternoon. And I just looked up, just as the sun was about to break over the top of the house. And do you know what I saw? Tens of thousands of bits of pollen floating in the air. And I'm wondering why my eyes are running and I'm sneezing. There was the answer right in front of me. But do you know what? We don't normally get to see that. You may be thinking, I'm very thankful we don't get to see that. But it's there the whole time. That pollen is floating around. It was just in that particular instance I got to see it. You know, God's presence is like that. Through Jesus, we always have access into God's presence. But we don't always take the time to draw near, and we don't always experience God in the way that Isaiah does. So Isaiah is in the place of God's presence. He encounters the Lord with all his senses. And we see this happening time and again through Scripture. We see Paul. Where does he experience the same kind of thing? On the road to Damascus. He encounters the risen Christ. The day of Pentecost, as the Spirit falls, there's the same kind of um, experience of the presence of God that becomes tangible. Other times in the book of Acts, we could go into 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul has an experience of God in the third heaven. So what about us? Should we be expectant that we would tangibly experience God's presence? Well, I think if we want to be biblical, absolutely. Absolutely. As we draw near to God, what is the promise? God draws near to us. As we draw near to God, we come into the presence of God and things are changed. So just in my own life, when do I find that I experience God? Well, there are times when I'm opening my Bible and suddenly something springs out at me. And it's like God is there. He's speaking directly through his word. And it's confirmed by the Holy Spirit. There are some times when I've been out walking the dog and I just sense that God is with me. That real sense that God is with me. Someone once asked me, how do you know that it's God? How do you know that it's God? How do you know that it's not just a nice, warm liver shiver? Was it J. John who called the the liver shiver, that experience? How do you know it's not just that? Well, I always remember hearing um, a speaker called George Cavour, who was principal of Trinity College in Bristol. And he said this. He said, the child knows their father's voice. The creator knows the voice, the created, sorry, knows the voice of the creator. When we come into the presence of God, when God speaks to us, the longer we spend there, the more we recognize that it's God. The tenderness of his love, the touch of his spirit. You know, in praise and worship, when we sing, we're not just singing songs. We are coming to God. We are drawing near, and God can draw near to us. And some of the most powerful experiences of God that I've had have been in praise and worship. But it's not always in the good times. You know, I think back to a number of years ago when I had to have a brain scan. And I was terrified. I was in this MRI scanner. And I was praying, Lord, would would you reveal yourself to me? And I had this most incredible time of peace and tranquility, of God's presence being tangible. If we're serious about reconnecting with God, do not be surprised if God shows up. Do not be surprised if God shows up. But also don't be expected to be the same. 
Don't be, expect to be the same if you've been in the presence of God. I think I've got my slides all in the wrong order here. I'll have to go back. Do you remember that quote that I mentioned a few moments ago? You know, I've been around the block as a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been to all kinds of meetings that have claimed that revival is around the corner over it, never to materialize. I've had times of disappointment. I've had times thinking, what on earth is going on, Lord? And sometimes I've, I've just found myself thinking, I wonder. I wonder if sometimes we draw near to God and what we expect is just this wonderful feeling, this freedom and this joy, but not really to be changed. Not really to be changed. Not really to be commissioned. Now, there will come a day, absolutely, when we will enter into the presence of God. We will rest with him. We will enjoy him forever and ever. But what happens when Isaiah has this experience of God? What happens? Go on. It's not a rhetorical question. You can answer me. What happens? No, it's hot, but surely somebody can tell me what happens. What happens by the end? Yeah, he's willing to go anywhere. He's a sent person. He's commissioned. He's sent out. So he draws near to God, and the closer that he's drawn near to God, actually the more he realizes he's sent out. There is a job to do. There is a message to share. But before he does that, certain things happen. Let's go back to where I thought I was up to. Here we go. There we are. He says, um, woe to me. I am ruined. What does the presence of God do? It reminds us of our sin. It makes us realize that actually we've got a long journey on the road to holiness. And when faced with the holiness of God, this is what happens. And anything that claims to be a move of God that doesn't include holiness, I'm always very skeptical of. Because actually that is what God calls us to. He calls us to be like him. He calls us to walk in his ways. But here's the good news here. God is not here to pull Isaiah apart. But he's here to put him back together. Perhaps you need to hear that this morning. God is not here to pull Isaiah apart. He's here to put him back together. And if you enter into the presence of God, just put your name in there. God is not here to pull me apart. He's here to put me back together and to make us whole in his presence. Verses 6 to 7, we then get the the acts um, where the coal is taken from the altar, the place of sacrifice, and sins are forgiven. And we've already had that reminder from the book of Hebrews that exactly the same happens to us. As we draw near in full assurance of faith, what happens? Our sins are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, they are taken from us. And so Isaiah, he experiences a sovereign God in an uncertain world. He's aware of his sin. He's assured of forgiveness. And then we get the call. I wonder what you expect to happen when we encounter God. I wonder what you expect. Do you expect just the, the J. John liver shiver? Do you expect something a bit more profound? Do you expect to be called again and commissioned and sent out? So we get to verse 8, and it's the Lord who asks the question. And it just seems to be a general question, doesn't it? It's not like specifically directed to Isaiah. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Notice the plural there. God in Trinity, God in relationship for us. And this is not just Isaiah's call, but it's one that echoes down the ages. Now, I mentioned this before, but I go into the high school with George probably once a month. And when you go into school, occasionally, things stand out that perhaps if you're a teacher or if you're a student, you'll notice all the time. Think back to your school days for for a moment. And 
You know, like if a teacher asks you a question, or in this case, it'd be George asking you a question, there's always some young person who puts the hand up without any idea as to whether they can answer it. <laughs> I'm looking around. There are probably some of you in this room who I think were that person. <laughs> and we've probably got some teachers in the room here who can say, yes, I identify with that. I can see a few people nodding. Um, but, you know, we'll go into chat and chill, and George will ask some question, and the, all these hands will go up. They don't always know what they're saying. <laughs> they don't always know what they're saying. Now, it's interesting. I don't know whether Isaiah is just overwhelmed by this whole encounter and just goes, me, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll go. Or whether, actually, there is this profound sense that he's got what the presence of God is about, and he now knows he has to go with the message that God will give him. I don't know. It doesn't really matter, in a sense, because the text doesn't tell us. It's just an interesting thing to think about. But what we get is we get five words that transform Isaiah's life. Here I am, send me. Five words in response to the call of God. Now, Isaiah, if you get a chance this afternoon, have a look at the rest of this passage and then go on. What was it you read from Isaiah? 61. Then go on and read chapter 61. Um, Because the message that Isaiah is given initially is a really tricky one. It's a message to a disobedient people calling them back. But Isaiah's calling as a prophet will go way beyond that. And Isaiah will be one of the few people to get to speak the hope of Messiah to a people eight centuries before Jesus came. But he has even more than that to say. Just listen to this verse from Isaiah 11. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's given that as well by the Lord to share. And that hasn't yet taken place. Stuff that is even beyond our time. Now we too, just like Isaiah, are a commissioned people. If you're a follower of Jesus today, we are all called all commissioned in the presence of God to share the good news. Now, we have the most amazing news to share. We have the news of Jesus who has come, Jesus who is God himself, Jesus who has paid the price for sin, Jesus who longs to walk with us and give us purpose in our lives. And as we draw near, as we draw near, God will call us again. He will call us to his purposes. Now, sometimes there are things that we do well collectively in terms of sharing the good news. It's great to have Neil telling us about, you know, renew well-being and and various things like that. We think of our youth ministries. We think of things like friends and neighbors and holiday at home. Those are great stuff that we do to share Jesus, that we do together. But we can't subcontract out our calling as somebody to share to the church. It can't be subcontracted out. We are all still called to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this verse from 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Call from Jesus is to give reason for the hope that we have. It's to share our story. So who do we share with? We had a leaders meeting on Thursday night and Sam Rochel was was telling us a little bit about how Scripture Union used to encourage them when when he used to work for them to share the gospel. And they said, just as Jesus did, Jesus had three people who were very close to him, Peter, James, and John, and he was the one, those were the ones who he invested the most time in. There was then the 12, the the bigger group of disciples. There's then the 72, there's then the thousands. And he said, if we follow that same model, you know, have those that we're always praying for who would come to faith in Jesus. Then a slightly bigger group who we perhaps, you know, we pray for um, sort of on an occasional basis and then think beyond that. 
but we share our story. We're prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. What's your story today? If you're a follower of Jesus, are you prepared to share that? I can remember years ago um, when I was at the Nazarene College and we used to go around all these different churches on Sunday mornings and we used to take it in turns to do the various roles. So one of us would lead prayer, one of us would preach, one of us would share testimony. And I used to get really anxious whenever I had to share my testimony because mine is not very exciting. You know, there were people there who, who like, there was one friend of mine who had woken up one morning and he felt God say to him, you need to stop drinking. He'd been an alcoholic and he stopped and he never drank again. And God healed him of that literally overnight. There were other people whose lives had been totally broken, lives who had been all over the place, who'd come to saving faith in Jesus. And then my story goes something like this. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I don't know when I first became a Christian. I was baptized at 18 and I've been going on with God ever since. And then you sort of sit down feeling rather sheepish. Until somebody said to me, that is the most amazing story of God's faithfulness. Because you've grown up in a Christian home, you've had those values instilled into you, the gospel has come at you from all sides and it's resonated, and God has kept you, and he has held you, and he has moved you forward. Don't ever be ashamed of that story. Don't ever be ashamed of it. So I don't know what your story is today. I don't know whether it's like mine, that you think, well, that's just a little bit ordinary. Or whether you've had a Damascus road, or whether you've had some incredible way that you've encountered God. But people won't always listen to arguments. They won't listen to our clever discourse, but they will listen to our stories. Stories are incredibly, incredibly powerful. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who gives you a reason. Everyone who gives, asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. John Stott, the late John Stott, talks about gossiping the gospel. You know, just being prepared to chat, being prepared to say something of the reason why we have hope. Something of the reason why we have hope in Jesus. But with a gentle heart. Not demeaning other stories, not pulling other people to bits but do it with gentleness and respect, sharing the hope, praying that our story will be used by the Lord. So as we draw near to the Lord, as we draw near to him, as he draws near to us, we're commissioned, we're called. We're not called just into pleasure-seeking, but we're called to purpose. We're called to purpose. The purpose we have as church, as individuals, is to share this amazing message of the good news. So as we move from this period of reconnection, I don't know what we're calling it yet, but it'll be something about connection, won't it? Moving to new connections, moving to share Jesus in new and amazing ways. Who do we share it with? Well, who do you meet? Who do you know? Is it your neighbor? Is it somebody you go to the football with? Is it somebody you sit in the pub with? Is it somebody you sit in the cafe with? Is it somebody in the office you work in? Is it somebody at the school gate? Whoever it is we have those relationships with, that is our mission field. That is who we're called to share Jesus with. What's our response to what Isaiah said? Here I am, send me. Are we ready to go? Are we commissioned to go? Do we understand that this comes directly from the presence of God? Well, if that's you this morning, I just encourage you to just once again say, Lord, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. I'm going to pray for us. I'm just going to ask if the worship team would would come forward. Um, If you want to to pray that prayer again this morning, would you just join with me? Um, If you want to pray with the prayer team afterwards, if you want to pray with um, somebody specifically about how you can share Jesus with, with a particular person or anything else, the prayer team will be available. But just let me pray for us. Lord, you call us to a life of purpose. 
You call us to a life of commission, a life of sharing the amazing good news that Jesus has come into the world to save sinners, that the doors of eternity are open to all those who follow him. And Lord, I want to pray that as we have looked at what Isaiah was called to do, and as you come again and say to us, go into all the world, go and preach the gospel, go make disciples of all nations, Lord, that our answer will be, here I am, send me. So if that's you this morning, if you just want to recommission yourself in, in the presence of God, can I encourage you just to say those words in your heart? Here I am, Lord, send me. So Lord, yeah, we thank you for your presence. Thank you that we can draw freely in and just we, we pray that as we continue to move forward as a church, that we may do so in the power of the Spirit, knowing your presence, drawing ever closer, and in drawing closer, we might be a sent people. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.